Welcome back to Scripps Talks. Today we have Maria Gallucci joining us. Maria is a science and technology and business reporter covering energy and some other um, interesting topics. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you've been doing during this time of uh, COVID-19. Sure. So a few of the recent pieces that I've done have looked at how coronavirus efforts, you know, efforts to contain it are affecting the economy, are affecting greenhouse gas emissions. So I did a piece recently speaking with a researcher who's tracking how China's declining energy use, you know, coal and oil is affecting greenhouse gas emissions in the country. And they've seen a pretty sizable drop in emissions in the last uh, couple months, you know, as the cities are on, on lockdown. Those emissions aren't expected to stay down, but it's pretty dramatic, you know, to see those effects. And then I wrote about the recent $2 trillion stimulus bill that passed in the United States. There was a lot of discussion. President Trump wanted to include the cruise ship industry, which has obviously been severely affected by having to cancel their trips, cancel bookings, and also the spread of coronavirus on those ships. A lot of environmental groups and some Senate Democrats were opposed to including the cruise ship industry for various reasons, including sort of a mixed environmental record. So I wrote about that. A piece I'm working on now will look at how hotels are pivoting and reusing their resources to become quarantine units to host doctors and medical personnel so they can stay near the hospitals where they're serving, especially as guests are no longer booking into these places. How can they use their space and serve the public in a different way? So it's amazing. You Anywhere you look, there's an example of how coronavirus is affecting something. So as a journalist, it's an interesting time to try and understand how that's all playing out. How is it affecting the way that you're doing your work? A lot of the conversations I have, you know, when I'm interviewing sources by phone or Skype or WhatsApp, whatever it is, you know, you have some introduction, you kind of chat a bit and then dive into the questions. Well, now our chats are, you know, what's the what's the situation like in the city where you are? I spoke with a woman in London that had just gone on lockdown, you know, and Helsinki kind of around the world. And so we're kind of commiserating in this interesting way where we're sort of trying to understand what the other person is going through. There's sort of a feeling of solidarity in that. And then we get into the interview. Also, it's been harder to reach some folks, especially a lot of the analysts and researchers who are studying how coronavirus is affecting energy consumption or emissions, things like that. They're slammed, I mean, in doing their actual job and then in responding to reporter requests. So things are just kind of moving more slowly. So it's kind of trying to find a balance of being patient and understanding the demands that they're facing and then also trying to stay ahead of the news and stay on top of things because the story changes so quickly. You could have an idea and maybe it's outdated within a few days. A lot of events that I had planned to cover in person or maybe longer term feature ideas that I was planning to pursue are sort of on hold indefinitely because city councils and state agencies aren't hosting these public meetings anymore. The thought of trying to travel somewhere to interview a source or or check out a project is difficult to know when I'll even be able to do that. So the plans I had made at the beginning of the year are always changing, always on pause now. So that's, that's just one way sort of trying to figure out what this means and how can I do the stories I had hoped to do remotely or will I just have to wait for another time in the future. 
one of the aspects about this current situation that I find fascinating is that it does touch everyone. It, it affects everyone in a way that we can't really imagine. Uh, I mean, maybe 9-11 had some of that effect, but, but not for the length of time that this is having. And I see journalists and their sources being able to relate to each other in a very human way, which might not have always been necessarily the case, but I, I would guess that there's a lot of empathy that you know is, is sort of what I hear you describing in your conversations with sources. Absolutely, because it's sort of this bizarre common experience that we're all starting to have. Certainly coronavirus affects people differently and the response efforts are uh, maybe more extreme or more lax, but we're all sort of living through this strange time and having our lives turned upside down and talking to somebody, I mean, even within your own city, right? Because you don't get out and see your own neighborhood these days. It's sort of interesting to like get this dispatch from another part of the world. But yeah, certainly this, this empathy, I, I think is something new. It's something maybe that would be interesting to kind of continue to have in future reporting. So where are you where are you based and how are you managing the day-to-day of living? So I live in Brooklyn, New York in a small apartment with my husband. We actually both work from home. That part of the dealing with coronavirus hasn't been as jarring as the transition as I think it has been for some folks. But, you know, we have our groceries delivered. In New York it's difficult and this is one reason the virus is spreading so quickly because there's so many of us living in such a dense space. If you want to go for a walk, it's really hard to not come in contact with somebody. And that relaxing walk, you know, engaging in nature becomes kind of stressful because I'm constantly doing these calculations in my head, trying to triangulate the distance between this person who's approaching me and how much room I have on my side. It becomes difficult to move around. It's stressful. And then you read the news, of course, in New York is overwhelmed. And it's hard not to hear that and kind of feel like it's coming for you or something like that. You live in in Brooklyn, but you're from Ohio. Well, actually, yesterday, my husband and I drove from Brooklyn to Ohio. So this is my first morning. We're in Gambier, which is adjacent to the campus of Kenyon College. We have a small house here that's next door to my husband's parents. And normally, we would be renting it out to the parents of college students. Uh, We decided it's sitting empty we would like to have some outdoor space and just relax a little bit outside of New York. So we drove about eight hours uh, here yesterday. It's the first morning, but does it indeed seem like a relief to be away from New York? Yeah, absolutely. We wake up in the morning this morning and could hear birds chirping, see out the windows, it's green all around. And because this is a college town and there are no students, it's very empty. So that part's really surreal. This is the spring, obviously, like with Ohio, a university would be a very bustling time. Students are excited about their spring semester and it's totally deserted, which is nice from a, you know, self-quarantining perspective, public safety perspective, but it's just, it's bizarre. Tell me a little bit about what it was like on the highways. Normally this drive might take nine or 10 hours. Yesterday took eight hours and We didn't really see very many passenger cars at all on the road. There were a lot of long-haul trucks, Sprite trucks, I imagine, that are, you know, resupplying grocery stores. And we stopped twice at um, highway rest stops, and those were completely empty. 
except for maybe one or two maintenance workers who were there. And so that was strange. We were thankful that it was so empty because we were worried about running into other people. And certainly we took safety precautions, had hand sanitizer and Lysol wipes, but it just felt empty. We felt a bit like we were fleeing. It's sort of irrational, but I was afraid. I was wondering if we were going get, to get pulled over on the way out or something, you know, saying you can't leave or turn around, but that didn't happen, of course. Well, so far we haven't seen states, you know, erecting barricades at the state line, which is, that'll, that, that's when we know we'll, we're all in trouble. It's funny, my family, being outside of New York, you read news about New York, and it's frightening, obviously. We were safe. We were in the confines of our apartment most of the time, but I know everybody's really relieved that we're over here now. It's sort of this feeling like we're, we're not out of the danger zone, right, because coronavirus can spread anywhere, but it feels a bit like we are. One thing that can be difficult to watch from the confines of your apartment is knowing that it's affecting people a lot more severely than it is others. So I normally, um, on Sundays, volunteer at a soup kitchen, and we provide meals to people in the community who could use them. And we stopped that because of concerns about spreading the virus, you know, with those community members receiving meals and amongst ourselves. And I know other meal services and soup kitchens in the area have closed down. And that's difficult. I mean, there are ways to support organizations by donating, absolutely, and providing food. But it's strange to sort of no longer participate in the community in that way, to be isolated but know that other people are suffering. Let's talk a little bit about when you were a student and preparing to work as a journalist. Is is this the kind of journalism and the kind of material that, that you thought you would be covering when you were a student back in the, the 2004 through 2008 period? Well, certainly I don't think I ever anticipated a pandemic on this scale, but I think what really drew me into journalism, or one thing that I found kind of to be a little bit addicting, is these major breaking news events where it changes by the minute, it infiltrates everything. Um, you know, normally I think I probably would have been, had in mind natural disasters or major events like that. So, yeah, to your question, I, I think that I think that this is something that is it's certainly new. What we're experiencing right now is new, but this idea of a breaking news event with major implications is something that probably a lot of journalists are drawn to and want to participate in. You're a freelancer, and so I'm interested in what the appetite has been among the publications that you write for, for the coverage that you're providing. It can vary. Some publications are very interested in coronavirus-related coverage. Others are able to do a lot of that on their staff. And so what they're hoping to see from freelancers is something different, something that they're not going to be covering themselves. One thing that's challenging about that is, for me is I see everything through the lens of coronavirus right now. It can feel difficult to think of other stories as, tr to not think of them as trivial. You know, other stories, of course, matter. There are many other things happening in the world that need coverage. But in terms of coming up with ideas and inspiration, for me right now, it's sort of coronavirus is front of mind. What advice would you have for students, especially maybe the graduating seniors, you know, who are thinking about all of their their future prospects and curious about what what's, what all is going to happen? Obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but 
from your vantage point, do you have any advice that you would give them? I think this would have been true before coronavirus, but certainly after that it'll be important to really be self-starters, to come up with their own ideas, to approach publications. I know when I graduated in 2008, which is actually right before the beginning of the financial crisis, I had this hope that I would land a job at a newspaper or a publication and find a mentor, sort of be guided and be shown the ropes. And that didn't really happen, I think, because when I graduated, what the recession hit and there were many layoffs. And so you sort of have to learn to think fast on your feet. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it can be a little bit more challenging, but as journalists and and for the graduating journalists, they can certainly rise to the challenge and, and bring their own strengths and find creative ways of telling different stories. And so I think maybe just understanding that they'll need to be self-starting in that way can be helpful in terms of preparing themselves for what's to come. Maria Gallucci, thank you so much for joining us today on Scripps Talks. And best of luck, stay safe, and wash your hands. (laughs) Thanks. Stay safe, too.